It is good for us to gather here this morning. Thank you for calling us together that we might... As we stand in your presence, we know that we only come by your grace that comes to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. For apart from him, we cannot draw near to you, for we are sinners. We acknowledge that before you, we have the desires of our own hearts. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done. We have done those things which we ought not to have done. We have failed to love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we have failed to love our neighbors as ourselves. We have sought to build our own kingdoms rather than praying that your kingdom come. And so we cast ourselves upon you, upon the atoning work of Jesus, and rest in the forgiveness that he purchased on our behalf. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Enable us to worship you in spirit and truth. And equip us by your spirit to honor you with our lives. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our responsive call to worship. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. For a people shall dwell in Zion, in Jerusalem. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself any more, but your eyes shall see your teacher. And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. Together, let us worship God. to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrow cease, His music is
spread through all the earth abroad the honors of thy name to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of thy name
Christopher Ritter here this morning. Where is Chris? Quick here, inviting Christopher Ritter to come up because we're going to pray for him. Uh, Chris is um, a student at KU, and uh, God has called him this summer uh, to go to Gulf Shores, Alabama, uh, to serve with student mobilization. Uh, He'll be leaving on the 18th of this month. Uh, just here in a few days, and we'll return at the end of July. And so as we come to the scriptures, we come to pray, we want to take this opportunity uh, to pray for him as well. So please pray with me. Father, we are thankful for your faithfulness um, to Chris. Uh, We have watched him grow up in this church, and we have seen your spirit at work in his life, and it is a beautiful reflection of your grace and and your work and your power and your faithfulness to all generations of your people. And for that, we give you thanks. And we pray as he goes out um, that you would strengthen him and empower him for the work that you've called him to do over the next couple of months. We pray that he would be reminded of your sweet grace to him and that you would give him a certain measure of faith and courage uh, to speak and to do the work of ministry. Remind him that you go before him, that you do not leave him, that you will not forsake him. Father, may your word be strong in his ministry. Uh, this summer. And Father, as we come to your word now, we pray uh, that you will be at work in our own hearts, uh, strengthening us by your spirit as your word is made effectual in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Chris. Uh, Our passage this morning will be from Romans chapter 8. You can turn there, Romans chapter 8. We'll begin reading in Verse 18, and we will end in verse 25. Um, As you turn there, I know the bulletin says through verse 30, but uh, in two 10-minute homilies, um, you know, we only got to verse 25, so. As we read this, Psalm 119, verse 50 says, This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. And this is our prayer. Romans 8. Verse 18, hear the word of the Lord. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly 
as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And together the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. I probably don't need to remind us this morning, that, um, but this passage is a reminder to us that we live in this present time in an age marked by sin and brokenness, marked by suffering and groaning. And Paul further tells us that this suffering and this groaning therein is not only personal, but it is also cosmic. The curse of sin reaches not only into all of humanity, but all of creation as well. He says that all of creation is groaning together. You and me, we, along with all of creation, groan together. There is so much to groan about, isn't there? We look around us and we think things ought not be this way. Such grief, such heartache, such pain, such anger, such despair. Our souls, they groan. Surely, surely, Lord, this is not the way things ought to be. For me, I groan imagining the reservoirs that might be supplied by human tears. I groan because for every spoken story, there are, there are the unspoken stories. Countless others living in their illnesses and brokenness. I cry over the unheard cries of all those across the world whose very humanity is shattered at the hands of their perpetrators. I groan today because I know a mother will grieve over her son who is ravaged by addiction. I groan knowing that tonight somebody will be standing at the door of a homeless shelter and be turned away with the words, no more beds tonight. I groan because tomorrow a doctor will deliver crushing news to a family. I groan when I look into the teary eyes of a young man who is not good for him. I groan when I look at my children and see the innocence that is lost when I have to answer the question, Dad, why? Why are those people crying? Why are they so angry? Why is that man asking for food? Why is it I can't go run around in the neighborhood all by myself? Why? I groan because the opportunities... There ought to be great opportunities for listening and understanding and love and reasonable discourse turn so quickly on every side of the aisle into vain posturing and self-justifications and personal attacks. I groan because I wonder which in my manuscript will cause someone to stop listening and start labeling I groan because I see all of this and then in the morning I stand up and I look in the mirror and I realize I'm not any different. I am a sinner, guilty of my own kind of bitterness and self-justifications and unloving responses. I groan because I cause pain for others. 
I groan because I too stop listening and start labeling. As Isaiah said, I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And so my soul groans. And I know you groan too. For various reasons and in various ways, this is the experience of every man and every woman and every child. Indeed, for all of creation, we are groaning together. But this groaning, creation's groaning, our groaning is not a lament of despair, but it is one that is filled with hope. Listen for it in Paul's words. He says, For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And even in his next description in verse 22, he he marks out this hope that exists amidst our painful groaning. He says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. You see, the mother, she endures anticipation of holding her very own child. It is a pain that she endures for the joy that is set before her. And that should sound familiar to us. Hebrews 12, verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising of God. If there was ever a reason to groan, if there was ever a reason to lament, it was at the cross. And in fact, Jesus did so. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But the thing we need to understand about that cry is it was a cry. It was a, it was a lament. It was a groan that was not without hope. Because when Jesus said that, he's actually referencing Psalm 22. And we don't have time this morning to read the psalm. I would encourage you to do so because when you read it, you will see the cross of our Lord quite clearly. And you will notice that what begins as a psalm of lament ends with assurance and praise. Jesus knew the end. And so his lament was not without hope. Rather, it was informed and it was shaped by a clear and glorious view of that which was to come. Jesus endured the wrath of God for the sins of sinners because of the great joy that was set before him. And he knew that he would be raised and ascended and that he would return to bring full and final redemption to all of creation. As far as the curse is found, he knew that his goodness and his righteousness and his peace and his glory would drive out all causes of groaning so that our eyes might behold his face and our groanings might melt away into eternal joy and everlasting praise. That, friends, is our hope as we groan. And Paul, 
verse 18, he, he says that the sufferings of our present day are not worth comparing with the glory that, that is to come. Imagine that. Let's stop and think about that. Consider the depth of the heartache and the pain. Consider the visceral reaction that we have when we experience sin in a broken world. And then imagine how this bitter experience is of no comparison to the wondrous weight of glory that is to come in the presence of God in the new heavens and the new earth. This is our hope as we groan. Our groaning, we need to understand this, our groaning is not a failure of faith. In fact, we ought to lament sin and evil and brokenness of every kind because it's not the way it ought to be and it's not the way it will always be. You see, the difference in the Christian's groaning is this, that we groan with hope. We do not turn away from the evil of this present age, burying our heads in the sand and pretending that this is not the day in which we live. Rather, we face it. We see it. We allow it to touch us deeply so that we may groan and lament over it so that we might turn our eyes upward to Jesus, to the coming age wherein our hope will become our present reality. Because when we do this, when we do this, we might learn the way of our Lord, that our laments and our groaning might turn into strong assurance and holy praise. At the end of the scriptures, Jesus said this, Surely, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Please pray with me. Come, Lord Jesus. Surely we do feel the depth of our groaning. We understand it in, in, in ways, in various ways. We experience it of various kinds. And, and we look to you because we know that we have hope, because we know that as sure as you came... And you lived and you died and you rose and ascended. Surely uh, you are coming again. We have great confidence and assurance of that. And so, Father, we pray that you will teach us by your spirit to hope in you. To look forward to the day in which you will return and you will establish your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. In which we will stand before you and we will, we will behold your face. We will see your glory and we will, we will be filled with eternal praise. Father, it amazes us that we cannot imagine that glory being of no comparison to the pain and the struggles that we feel today. But God, we take it by faith because you've said it's true. And that, Lord, is enough for us. God, I pray for us as a people of God that we would be a people filled with hope and strength, uh, that we would be a people who, who love to worship you and anticipate that we would be a people 
who say, yes, Lord, come quickly. Father, we love you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, the Lord of glory. Amen.
Lord our God we are not consumed by the flood of hell protected gathered up we will feast in the house of Zion we will sing with our hearts restored has done great things we will say together we will feast and we know more in the dark of night before the dawn my soul be not a for the promised morning, oh, how long, oh, God of Jacob, be my strength. We will feast in the house of Zion. We will sing with our hearts restored. He's done great things. We will sing. The gospel is a message that God, through Christ, is reconciling all things to himself, a redemption that will reach as far as the curse is found. If every square inch of creation was marred and ruined by sin, then every square inch will be fully redeemed and transformed at the return of our Lord. Wherever there is a disruption 
to God's good creation, Christ brings renewal. Romans 8 verse 21 says, Creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain of the glory of the children of God. The glory of the children of God are consummated full and final salvation that will come at the return of Christ cannot be conceived apart from cosmic regeneration. You see, too often our understanding of the scope of the gospel and the reach of the gospel is just too small. I mean, the gospel is indeed about the atonement of my sins. Hear what I'm not saying. It is that and more. It is so much bigger than just me. It is about the redemption of all things. Paul said elsewhere in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, he said this, For in him that is in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, that is, through his work, his life and his death and his resurrection, his ascension and his return, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. It is all encompassing. And the scope of the gospel actually informs us for today. It informs us in how we are to live today. The late Reformed theologian Garrett Burkhauer in his book, The Return of Christ, said this, The new is never a strange and futuristic fantasy, but a mystery that penetrates into this existence and will make itself manifest there. Such a vision for the future actually enlists us as members of that future society in Christ. It enlists us to live today according to his consummated kingdom. And we, we pray for this, do we not? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To seek the kingdom come is to submit our entire lives to his lordship. I say this because there is, there is some, the subtle thing that often happens in Christian living in which we see the Christian faith as pertaining to salvation, particularly my justification before God and my, my worship and acceptance with God. But we fail to see it oftentimes as pertaining to all of life. Abraham Kuyper, another Reformed pastor and theologian, said it simply, There is not an inch in the whole of the broad terrain of human life to which Christ does not lay claim. Christ is the king over all of creation. Christ is the king over every human life. Christ is the king over every endeavor that is set before us. Albert Walters, in his book, Creation Regained, it's subtitled, Biblical Basics for a Reformational Worldview. He said this, Just as the fall of man, Adam, was the ruin of the whole earthly realm, 
So the atoning death of a man, Jesus Christ, the second Adam, is the salvation of the whole world. Likewise, just as the first Adam's fall was aided and abetted by the subsequent disobedience of humankind, so the salvation of the whole world is manifested and promoted by the subsequent obedience of a new humankind. The Adamic human race perverts the gospel. The Christian human race renews it. Excuse me. The Adamic human race perverts the cosmos. The Christian human race renews it. The obvious implication is that the new humanity, God's people, is called to promote renewal in every department of creation. If Christ is the reconciler of all things, and if we have been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation on his behalf, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, then we have a redemptive task wherever our vocation places us in the world. The dividing line within creation limits the applicability of such biblical concepts as reconciliation, redemption, salvation, sanctification, renewal, the kingdom of God, and so on. In the name of Christ, distortion must be opposed everywhere, in the kitchen and the bedroom, in city councils and corporate boardrooms, on the stage and on the air, in the classroom and in the workshop. Everywhere, creation calls for the honoring of God's standards. Everywhere, humanity's sinfulness disrupts and deforms. And everywhere, Christ's victory is pregnant with the defeat of sin and the recovery of creation. Now, I know that was a long quote. So what does it mean? It means that the implications of the gospel reach into everything. The gospel really does pertain to all of life. And thus, we must learn to bring the gospel to bear in every place and in every endeavor and in every discourse and in every vocation and every institution and indeed all of life. Indeed, it is our work to, to, to bring God's will on earth as it is in heaven. In a sense, think of it this way. In a sense, the Spirit... What has he done? He's brought the future eschaton, that, that future age of glory. What the Spirit has done, he's brought that back in time. And we have a foretaste of it as he dwells within us and he, he applies the work of Christ to us. And, he, and we do the work of bringing that future glory back in time, here and now, in all things and in all placings. That is the calling of Christian living. And it's the calling that we have as we wait for the redemption of all things. There is so much for us to dialogue about in these days, and there's even more to do. And as Christians, might I encourage us that we must enter in to these dialogues because ultimately the groans of the human heart, the groaning of our society can only be healed by the cross of Christ because it's the only thing that's big enough to deal with a cosmic problem. And as we enter into these things, we mustn't forget that the cross is both a gift and it is a demand. 
The cross is the gift of God that brings reconciliation between him and the sinner. And it is a demand for us to live the cruciform shaped life. That is to live in a way that is in sacrifice to him and our neighbor and his ways. The cross is a gift that makes us family. Children of God, brothers and sisters, the very bride of Christ. And it is a demand upon us to care for one another. To listen to one another, to understand one another, to serve one another, to forgive one another, to encourage one another, to strengthen one another, to challenge one another, indeed to love one another. The cross is a gift that gives us a hope and a future that is beyond compare. And it is a demand for us to practice now what will be true of us then. May I be so bold to just name what we all already know. In our current moment, with all of our dialogues and things to do, there are plenty of places for us to find differences and disagreement. And might I urge us to stop and to remember that we are, in fact, groaning together. That each of us, we groan for the redemption of all things. We aren't all that different. And the depth of our groaning should allow us to transcend our differences in this moment and should empower us to move at least a little bit closer to one another and a little bit closer to the world around us. It really is up to each of us to determine if we will have the faith and the courage to take up the gospel and the implications that follow and to press into them more. And maybe even more importantly, it is up to each of us to determine if we will do this with integrity. If we will simply buy one another a cup of coffee and talk. And especially to listen so that as we groan together in hope for the future, we would fulfill our calling with knowledge and with wisdom, with charity and love, with peace and with unity as one people united together by Jesus, Christ the King, the Lord of glory. Pray with me. Father, we humbly submit ourselves to you knowing that we are created. That we were brought to life from the dust. Your spirit, it amazes us that you breathe life into us. And it is even more remarkable that you made us in your image. But let us not forget 
your love for us individually, your love for us as your church and your people, and your love for all of creation. For you have made it your will to redeem all things. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came and that you lived the righteous life that we are to live but don't. Lord, we're thankful that you went to the cross willingly for the joy set before you that you might receive the wrath and curse of God that we deserve, but we don't have to take because of you. We revel in your resurrection that we might have eternal life, your ascension that we might have you interceding for us, ruling and reigning over, over us that you have poured out your spirit to empower us to live by faith and with great hope. And Lord Jesus, we long for the day that you return. And so, Father, give us a future, uh, a vision, a clear vision of that future reality so that today we might live. Empower us to be a people uh, settled and founded upon your gospel that we would not waver from it, uh, we would not be be shy to proclaim it, and that we would not uh, cower when we're called to live it out. Give us wisdom and kindness to one another that we might enter into the discourse and the dialogues and to these things that we do knowing that we don't really know (laughs) all the ways we ought to do it, but we are trying to honor you. Father, let us hear our own corrections when we fail and let us see the failures of others with great grace and mercy. And above all, might you be honored. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Please stand if you're able. Sing all to us. Precious cornerstone, sure foundation, and you are faithful to the end. And we are waiting on you, Jesus. We believe you're all to us. Let the glory. Of your name be the passion of the church, let the righteousness of God be your holy flame that burns, let the saving love of Christ be the measure of our lives.
Jesus, you are all to us. Let the glory of your name be the passion of the church. Let the righteousness of God be your only flame that burns. Let the saving love of Christ be the measure of our lives. Church, let the righteousness of God be holy flame that burns. Let the saving love of Christ be the measure of our lives. We believe your own to receive this as the Lord's benediction. The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Let's sing one more. Power 